This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff today and tomorrow. He will be back on Monday. Off to Lake Placid. Off you go, Jeffrey. Good luck to his son this weekend. Uh... We're going to turn our attention to the Tampa Bay Lightning right now. And who better to talk to than a man who has covered the team for a long time and knows all the ins and outs. And we'd like to say where all the bodies are buried, but we won't do that. Uh, Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com joins us. Eric, how are you today? Uh, I'm good. You know, it's funny you say that. You know, there used to be a rumor that uh, the arena here is built on top of an old Indian burial ground. So maybe I do know where the bodies are. Maybe. You know, it's it's funny. So Jeff and I have this ongoing thing because we both used to work at a cemetery. And I've always used the thing like whenever my daughter gets old enough, I could always say, listen, pal or whoever, um, I know I know where to bury you and nobody will find you. I know it sounds very mafia-ish, but I can always use that. Uh, but anyway, on a on a much on a much more happy note, um, it's been, it's a year of turnover for the Lightning. You know, a lot a lot of new faces, but the stars remain the same. And and you know, leading the charge, and no pun intended there, uh, Nikita Kucherov, uh, twenty two points in thirteen games. And you know, the funny thing about this is, and you and I had this conversation last year about Kucherov and the level he was playing at. People always seem surprised. It's like, oh my God, look at the year Nikita Kucherov is having. But this has been the kind of rate he's been playing at since 2016, 2017. Why are people so surprised that he's this good all the time? I don't know. I mean, he's been around long enough to to understand what type of a player he is. And I I don't know if I used this line with you last year or not, but I'm going to use it again. So Connor McDavid is a guy you watch time and time again because of the things that he does. With Nikita Kucherov, you have to watch it time and time again to figure out the subtleties of his game that make him so brilliant. He's got so much deception in his game that it's hard to see at full speed, right? He's got, you know, the, the like the, the goal he scored against Montreal the other night. He just slings a one-timer. Oh, and there he goes. That was such a good answer, too. Cell phones. He's, he obviously does not have a Roger cell phone in Tampa. That is clear, but I'm glad he brought that up and, and we'll, we'll venture to get Eric back on the line here, but I, it's funny that he mentions the subtleties in the game because I mean, there's one thing about Nikita Kucherov is that his game is very subtle. It, it's one of those that he does, you know, it, it's maybe a little tip through the neutral zone or it's a no look pass that nobody is expecting, or, you know, it could be a multitude of things. It's how deceptive his shot is or or how how accurate of a passer he is. But, you know, he's it's he's just a treat to watch because every day is something different. And and that's the thing that, you know, it, it makes it, you know, very, very important to continue to watch Nikita Kucherov and play at that kind of a level. So we are venturing to get Eric back on the line here um, and we'll let him finish that answer. You know. Like I mentioned, it's been such a year of turnover and this team will get counted out because they don't have the same type of depth and, you know, and the stars are getting older, but it doesn't seem to matter. It's one of those things, you know, we talk about it in other sports. If it was, you know, one time the New England Patriots or the Kansas City Chiefs now or, you know, in baseball for the longest time was the Yankees and the Red Sox, all of those things. The stars change. The the players change, but the stars continue to to perfect things. Uh, Eric, you're in the middle talking about uh, the subtleties of Nikita Kucherov's game. Please, please, yeah. uh, you know, finish that thought. Yeah, like you have to go back uh, a lot of times 
and look to see just how brilliant he can be with the puck. You know, I, I think back to the 2020, uh, 2020 Stanley Cup run and a pass he made to Braden Point where it's at full speed and he just turns the blade of his stick over just enough to ramp the puck up and it goes right into the path of Braden Point and he ends up scoring a goal. Like the, the hockey IQ, the, the way he thinks and, and the way he tries to, to do new things it's just unbelievably brilliant, and it's very subtle that you have to go back and watch it a couple times to make sure you think you saw what you actually saw. So that's where his game is at, and I, I think I was saying the goal he scored against Montreal the other night. It's a slinging one-timer. Like, it's not even a slap shot one-timer. It's like in one motion he grabs it with the toe of his blade and just slings it up in the top corner. It, it's, uh, it's amazing the thing that this guy can do uh, and, and the fact that he's been doing it for so long. It uh, should be a surprise that people are surprised that he can still do this stuff. The thing that I love most, and, for, and all of those things are great, I love how nasty he is because that's one part of his game. Like, he's not afraid. He's, you know, he's very liberal with his stick, and that's fine by me because those are the types of players, you know, and we know his playoff numbers, his playoff successes through the roof. He's one of the best playoff performers that the league has ever seen period. Um, but he's been impressive. The other guy that's been really impressive, and, and this was another guy that we had spoken about because last year was a tough year for Victor Hedman. The offensive numbers were the worst that he's had on a points per game basis since 2015, 2016. And now he's off to a great start. He's got 16 points in 13 games. As, as much as it, it pains lightning fans to hear this or ask this question, was the short playoff run for this group actually a benefit for this team going forward, especially for a guy like Victor Hedman? It can't hurt. You know, as much as you want to make sure that you're one of the last teams standing at the end of the year, you know, there is that silver lining, especially with the amount of hockey they had played, you know, through the years. You know, um, three straight Stanley Cup finals, you know, 150-plus extra playoff games and, and everything else that these guys have been through, especially the core of this team. And I think for Victor in particular, you know, he, he wouldn't admit it last year, but you can't tell me something wasn't bothering him. Like he got, he got, he took a hit early in the year in San Jose, like game four, game five, something like that. He missed a couple of games and he just didn't look right the rest of the year. So you'd have a hard time convincing me that that wasn't something that was bothering him throughout the year. So the long summer certainly benefited him because he kind of looks like he's back to that free flowing, you know, the way that he can skate, he's so for a guy who's as big as he is at 6'6 six, six and 230 pounds, whatever he is, you know, the way that he can glide across the ice, he looks like that guy again. So uh, I, I think in some ways that a lot of um, these players that have been with this team for the past number of years and played all the high-intensity hockey that they have, uh, getting away from the game physically and mentally, you hate to see it, but there are silver linings to it for sure. Eric Gerlinson from lightninginsider.com joining us on the line on the Jeff Merrick show. So is there, is there a correlation or a coincidence that Victor Hedman's offensive numbers go up and Mikhail Sergachev's numbers go down? Not really. Uh, certainly because they have been splitting time on the power play, you know, that number one power play Victor's got, I think more of the time this year, uh, but they do, they do kind of interchange them here and there. Uh, I, I think with Mikhail, the five on five has not been there. Certainly, He's not getting as much power play time because he's out there with the second unit. And usually if he's out there with the second unit, maybe he's getting 35 seconds to work with, depending on how things are going. Uh, but uh, it, it's Mikhail's, you know, he's had some issues in his own end. And I think that leads to the lack of offense because if you're not 
at the top of your game and the defensive end, you can't create good offense. And I think that's the big difference right now with Mikhail Sergachev. The old adage that good offense comes from playing good defense. If you look at his plus-minus numbers, and I know it's not the biggest number in the world, they're not very good. And I think that gives you an indication why his offense isn't there because he's he's spending too much time in his own end. You know, it's funny you mentioned plus-minus because people, they when a guy has a really good plus-minus, it doesn't mean anything. But when he has a really bad one, you can tell a lot by a guy having a really bad plus-minus. Yeah. Like, I think it's pretty obvious at that point. Uh, glad you mentioned the power play because there's one guy that has been a, a nice addition to that power play. Uh, Alex Kalorn out the door as a free agent heads to Anaheim and they bring and they brought in Nick Paul and he didn't really get a lot of power play time but now he's got that net front role he scored four of his seven goals on the man advantage his career high in goals last year was 17 and he's well on his way to surpassing that this year is this more of a case of opportunity maturity or a bit of both I think it's a bit of both. Uh, you know, I actually sat down with Nick uh, just after, I think it was after opening night when he had the two goals. They were both on the power play right there in front of the net. And, you know, I asked him, I said, how much different do you think the game now than maybe you did three, four, five years ago? And he said it's a world of difference in just how he approaches the game uh, and everything else and understanding the type of player that he is. So I think maturity has a lot to do with it. He also was very high uh, a praise for Nikita Kucherov and watching Nikita Kucherov and being around him and understanding how he approaches the game. Obviously, the skill set is not going to be the same, and very few have that skill set that Nikita Kucherov has. But he's tried to put some of those elements in his game that Nikita that he's learned from Nikita Kucherov. So I think the opportunity is there. Uh, they went to him early in training camp and said, "Hey, we think that we want to put you as a nut front presence and a down low guy on the first power play unit." Uh, and he's ran with it. He was great in the preseason. Uh, he's picked it up here in the start of the regular season. Uh, he had a great start last year. I think he had probably of those 17 goals, he probably had 14 or 15 of them by the time we got to January and tailed off towards the, t- the tail end of the year. So it'll be interesting to see if he can maintain this. But I think he's a much different player than he was in Ottawa. We saw some of the skill come out here with him when the, when the trade first happened. He had a between-the-leg shorthanded goal that he scored. He had a spinning pass to Ross Colton on an unbelievable play. So he's kind of unlocked a little bit of who he is fully as a player. Uh, so I guess to make a, a, a long answer short, uh, I think it's maturity as much as anything else. Uh, and you can put Brandon Hagel in that conversation as well. Uh, talk about offensive and, and how his performance is really, and he was a good player when he was in Chicago, but really kind of blossomed in Tampa. So we've talked all this time, uh, and we haven't even gotten to the goaltending yet. Uh, hasn't been pretty, uh, but it's getting by. Hard to make any sort of move because of their cap situation, and they are going to get Andre Vasilevsky back at some point. Are you surprised at all at the team's success considering they're riding the tandem of Jonas Johansson and Matt Tompkins right now? A little bit only in the sense that, you know, going into the season, especially, you know, a week in the training camp, you know, know, the news about Vasilevsky's back surgery came out and then, okay, they're going to ride two guys. Like Jonas Johansson has some NHL experience, but not a ton. So he was kind of an unknown commodity in a lot of ways. He didn't know what to expect from him. And certainly from Tompkins too, you know, who'd been in Sweden for the past two years and and came back over with the assumption that he was going to be the guy in Syracuse for the AHL. And all of a sudden, he's kind of put it in the spotlight. The numbers don't look pretty. The team in front hasn't helped those guys out on some of these games, though. Um, But they've been very, very effective. Johansson, I've been very impressed with. He is very calm in his crease, and that's what you always look for a goaltender. You know, how much movement are they doing around the crease? Can they they calm the seas 
amidst that chaos around the front of the net. He has been that way since his first preseason start, and he's carried that right on through. Uh, and, and Tompkins, too, tall guy, uh, knows how to use his, his size to his advantage. Again, another calm guy in his net. Uh, and, and if the team had played some better defense in front of him, you know, we'd be talking about a much better start than they're off to. But I, if you would have sat here and said that November 9th, um, that the Lightning would be sitting in second place in the Atlantic Division, a very tight, compacted Atlantic Division without Andre Vasilevsky, I think anybody would have taken that. Yeah, I, I, I certainly would have told you that you're crazy, but uh, here we are <laughs> on November 9th with that scenario actually playing out. Uh, one more before we let you go here, Steven Stamkos. You know, he made it very vocal about the lack of contract talks. And, and while it's really hard to imagine him playing anywhere else, do you think there is any chance that he ends up anywhere other than Tampa on his next deal to maybe finish out his career? Well, until he signed him a new contract, that chance is certainly always there. Um, and I think that's what has a lot of fans here a little uh, skittish about because the longer this goes on, and Julian Breesbaugh, the GM, has come out and said he's going to wait until the end of the season when he has more information, we assume salary cap and you know what's that going to look like and where can Steven fit in. But it is very hard for me to fathom a guy who has meant as much to this community, to this franchise, uh, the face of the franchise since before he was drafted with that whole Seeing Samco's marketing campaign you know, ahead of the draft in June of 2008. Uh, it, it is hard for me to fathom him wearing another jersey. It's very rare in today's game that one player stays with the same organization for their entire career. There's not a whole lot of Steve Eisermans and Joe Sackick still out there, uh, especially with the salary cap era. I would like to think the optimist in me thinks that this will get done at some point and Steven Stamkos will remain here. But until he's signed a new contract, that possibility is going to kind of hang over you know, the team up until the moment uh, he either resigns or ends up somewhere else. Uh, just, I got about a minute for this one here. Um, do you think that he would sign a very team-friendly deal on a maybe longer term to stay there? Like what? I know he loves Tampa, and he had the opportunity to go elsewhere in free agency, and he didn't. Um, do you think that is on the table for a guy like Steven Stamkos? I think it would be. I mean, he did it the first time around, right? That The big UFA year that he had, and he ended up taking less than market value to stay here. Much different um, arc on the career of him as well as the franchise on top of it. Uh, but, I, I mean, I could see that. But you, you would always think, too, that maybe the team would reward that loyalty. And, and maybe they do. Maybe they sign him to another eight-year deal knowing full that he's not going to play the full eight years of that contract just to keep the cap hit down but get the dollars and maybe front load a little bit. I could see that happening. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting season. It's already been an interesting season in Tampa. And, hey, maybe John Cooper will actually win the Jack Adams trophy this year because nobody expected them to win a thing. Uh, Eric, as always, thank you very much for your time. Greatly appreciated. Uh, and uh, enjoy the rest of the season. I'm sure we'll talk to you down the road. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Be well. There he goes. Eric Erlinson from lightning Time now for line change presented by sports interaction, your homegrown sports book bet local. And this is, can't be a surprise to anybody. It's Oilers at sharks tonight. Oilers minus one and a half on the puck line. Uh, the over is eight and two in the last 10 meetings in San Jose. The Oilers are five and zero oh in the last five meetings in San Jose. And the Oilers are eight and zero oh in the last eight meetings. So what you're telling me is that San Jose is due. That's what I think I, with those stats, that's what I gather is that San Jose is due. This is going to go one of two ways. The Oilers lose or the Sharks, they, they blow out the Sharks. I can't see a scenario where this is a one goal game in favor of the Oilers, right? 
just doesn't feel like there's any in between. Uh, we expect Stuart Skinner to get the start against Mackenzie Blackwood tonight. Uh, and Mark Spector made the point on the show yesterday that Connor McDavid isn't playing near 100%, but he has absolutely dominated the San Jose Sharks over his career, 16 goals, 23 assists, 39 points in 27 games versus the Sharks in his career. Leon Dreisaitl, on the other hand, is well below a point per game, and he's a minus six. We just talked about plus minus and how it doesn't matter, but it tells you something when he's a minus six in his career against the San Jose Sharks, an organization that uh, over the last few years, mm, not been so great. So this is going to be a really, really interesting one. Uh, Curious to see if San Jose... The red-hot San Jose Sharks, who have won one in a row, if they can build off of that win against the Flyers uh, the other night. Now, we all know the the Flyers messed this up for everybody. This could have been complete chaos. And now we can only get half of the chaos that we would have if it weren't for the Flyers losing the other night. So uh, Oilers at the Sharks, puck line Oilers minus one and a half. That was line change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook bet Local. All right. On on to hour two. Arda O'Cal from ESPN. Yes, the MO is back, and Arda is fresh off a contract extension that keeps him at ESPN. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. And we'll talk to Arda uh, right after the break. And, and in the second hour, we'll also talk to Megan Angley from DNVR Sports covering the Colorado Avalanche and her sit-down with Peter Forsberg and Joe Sackick. That would be a lot of fun. That's all coming up. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Plus. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show. Hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff. He'll be back on Monday. I will be back in here in this chair tomorrow. I don't have to go very far from the chair I normally sit in. So we're all good. Um, Just waiting to connect with Arda O'Cal from ESPN. Um, He's got a new contract. Maybe he's too important for me now. I don't know. We'll see. We've got lots to talk about with Arda specifically the amount of chaos that we could see on Twitter tonight if the Edmonton Oilers managed to lose to the San Jose Sharks. I am not a, I'm not a man that likes to see people fall, although I'm a big fan of when golfers duff a shot like I would, and I'm like, see, I knew you were normal just like me. You just have some superhuman abilities. I... I love Twitter when it starts to burn a little bit. I don't necessarily like the people on there, but the commentary sometimes is absolutely fantastic. Um, We've got a bunch of games on the air tonight uh, around the NHL, and it it is a busy one. Islanders at Bruins. You can watch that one on all the Sportsnet channels. Uh, Montreal at Detroit, Minnesota at at New York, Vancouver at Ottawa. That's going to be a very fascinating matchup. The Canucks are flying right now. Ottawa with a big win 
over the Leafs last night. The Lightning and the Blackhawks, Stars and Blue Jackets, Coyotes and Blues also very intriguing. Uh, Nashville at Winnipeg, Seattle at Colorado, Pittsburgh at LA, and of course, Edmonton at San Jose. All right, the MO is back. Arda O'Cal from ESPN joining me on the line. Uh, congratulations are in order, my friend. Well-deserved on the new deal. I thought you might big-time me a little bit here because you're a very, very important piece at ESPN now. Well, you always have Are been, you kidding but... me? Are you kidding <laughs> no, me? No, you're you too nice for that. I would big-time the MO, the premier number one segment <laughs> in all of Canada sports radio, even more than what's a distant second, Merrick versus Wyshynski. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Do you think that I would besmirch the good name of the MO? Not a chance. We are here for years to come, my friend. <laughs> I know. I know you wouldn't. I know there's too much money involved in this. We make too much, uh, too much cash <laughs> off of this. Um, are we printing shirts or what? Like we got to get some merch. And actually, you know what? We have to present Merrick with a t-shirt. Oh yeah. I think that would be amazing. Point, at some point, we need to create an MO shirt and we need to present it to him live on the air to get his reaction. We need the Sportsnet marketing department on this. Uh, I will <laughs> I will ring them after the show and let them know that we need some merch. And we only need one. If Merrick wears it, we've won. That that admits defeat right there. That's the exactly. one. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So <laughs> I saw I saw your tweet about this. And this has nothing to do with hockey on the ice and i wanted to get to this because this is a big part of my childhood um your tweet about nhl open ice two on two which was the video game answer to nba jam it launched this month back in 1995 which makes me feel really old i love how you talked about it being like a time capsule when you see some of the rosters like you specifically pointed out the islanders with the the fisherman friends jersey which i love by the way and like guys like kirk muller and wendell clark and tommy soderstrom like that is a fantastic look back and also i had no idea that gordy howe was a secret character in that game yeah and, and the fact that there's Actual, so I know the developers uh, from that era. So Midway was the name of the yeah. company. They created games like Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam and NFL Blitz and other games like that. And NHL 2-on-2 Open Ice Challenge, like you said, was essentially the NHL's answer to NBA Jam. 2-on-2 hockey, total fun arcade style. You're doing somersault slap shots and you grow into a giant for a big shot. There's a puck on fire flaming nets like it was such a blast to play and i thought and and the same announcer tim kitzrow the guy that oh there goes arda two for two today oh sorry two for three that is impressive again not a roger cell phone i should get a deal on my all right never mind Anyway, back that was a fantastic game. And if my memory serves, because I spent a lot of time in hockey arenas, and one specifically, uh, it was Iceland Arena in Mississauga, Ontario. And I had one of the top five records on that arcade game. I love I played it a lot, so I, I had a lot of experience. Art is back with us. Okay, so I was just saying, I spent a lot of time at... Um, you see what Merrick is trying to I do know. to our segment? Sabotage. Behind the scenes, he's just upset at the fact that the MO is growing at an exponential rate, and then this happens. Yeah, he's he's listening on his way to Lake Placid right now, I bet. Um, <laughs> so I was just saying about that game, uh, I, had a, I had one of the records at uh, Iceland Arena in Mississauga because I was there all the time 
as a kid. Um, who was your team? Because mine was always the Red Wings, and it was always Steve Eiserman and Sergey Fedorov. Yeah, Sundin for sure. Uh, I was definitely. I, I loved to jump around because there were some really weird pairings. Like Alexander Dag is in the game. Oh, like yeah. you know, some names that are like super blast from the past in that game. But, um, yeah, you had some heavyweight powerhouses in that one. I highly recommend whoever's listening right now, go and uh, look at the rosters of that game online because it brings you back and you're just like, eh. like in the case of the Islanders, it's like most of those, like Derek King is on the team too. So like that, okay, fine. He was like known for, as an Islander. But like the rest of the names, like Wendell Clark, Kirk Muller, you're not, the, no way anyone is associating them first with the Islanders. So it's almost like a funny time capsule in itself because yeah. like they happen to represent the Islanders in that game because that they happened to be on the team when they were creating the game, you know, so yeah. it's, it's just hilarious in that way. Yeah. I love that. Um, I was also a big fan of Wayne Gretzky's. Uh, I think it was the th- I think it was two on two or three on three, the Wayne Gretzky game. One of them yeah. anyway, that yes. was fantastic. Yes. Uh, we actually like NFL hits was like the, the, the spiritual successor yes. to, uh, to two on two open ice challenge, but yes. two on two was really the first one. Yeah. I really loved it. Okay. On, the ice stuff all right enough about video games because now it's bringing me back to a time when i could actually play video games and uh can't do that now that i'm a parent because that's way too difficult um what what is the biggest story of this young season for you so far uh the success of the boston bruins is one the uh what's happening with edmonton obviously is probably the biggest story uh, anyone's talking about and the frustrations there the death by a thousand cuts like it has all the markings of a huge story the quote Right, like death by a thousand cuts that people can cling on, uh, cup or bust the the mentality and the expectations that were there going into the season, and the fact that a player said that is huge. The frustrations, like look no further than the third period of that game against the Canucks. And by the way, the Edmonton Oilers have now lost three games against the Canucks already this season, yeah. right? Yep. So optically, it's just crazy. And then you have a third period where tempers are flaring and you're watching Connor McDavid play. And by his standards, even though he's still a point a game guy, you expect that of a guy like McDavid, but you're watching him and you're just qu- questioning, is he okay? Like, is he a hundred percent? What's going on there? Like, these are the questions that a fan watching McDavid play, especially in that third period. And then the tempers boil over, right? Like he's, uh, roughing it up, Drysidle's getting a misconduct, like just like emotions are boiling over on and off the ice. And then you have a game tonight, like we have it uh, at ESPN as an exclusive, like normally a game between like the Oilers and the Sharks before the season, you'd look at it and say, well, the Sharks may not be that great. The Oilers will probably be cruising. So this might just be one of those games where, you know, Edmonton runs up the score but now you're talking about it like we throw, listen, Matt, we throw the term must win around a lot in sports, not just hockey. But how much of a must win does this feel like for the Oilers, right? Oh, it's massive. And so I'm glad you brought it there because I do want to get to the Bruins in a bit. But like you and I agree on a lot of the same things when it comes to hockey. I, but I don't know if you're someone like I and Jeff who cheer for chaos. I don't want to see anyone lose their job. I don't want to see injuries. But if there was ever a time that I wanted to see Twitter burn down or X or whatever we're calling it, it would be tonight if the Oilers lose because I don't like the people. I don't necessarily like all the commentary. But when it comes down to something this chaotic – I am very much looking forward to the commentary because it gives me plenty to chew on for hosting for Jeff tomorrow. Are you of the same mindset that you want to see chaos when it comes to this game tonight? Chaos is always more fun to talk about as a fan. I do agree with Jeff 
Uh, he mentioned this on 32 Thoughts with Elliot about how there's an old saying in hockey that you owe your coach a trade. Yep. Uh, I know that he said that a couple times. I don't believe that Jay Woodcroft right now is on the hot seat as much as other people might feel that he's on the hot seat. I believe that he's owed a couple of moves before you truly um, look at Jay Woodcroft and say, is, he, is it time for him to go? I believe that you have to answer questions between the pipes. I believe you have to answer questions for some defensive personnel. When I say that, Oilers fans can immediately point out a couple of players that they would love to see produced defensively more than they have so far this season. I think that those questions at least need to have some sort of clear answer or at least an, um, some sort of tangible change before you look at Jay Woodcroft and say, all right, we have to make a change in coaching because I do believe that it, the on-the-ice product uh, needs to uh, shift first. That paradigm needs to change first before you look at Jay Woodcroft. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I don't think that players become bad overnight necessarily, and I also don't think that coaches forget to coach overnight. Like Jay Woodcroft, uh, you know, besides this season, I think his winning percentage is something like 683. Or his points percent. Like, it's it's pretty insane. Like, it, it, it's it's one that you look at and go, okay, th- there's going to be some improvement here. I don't care how good of a coach you are. If you do not get saves, it doesn't matter. You can have the best defensive unit in hockey, and if your goalie lets in goals that, well, they really shouldn't, then that's a problem, and that's what's going on in Edmonton. Now, for that, I look at the general manager and say, what have you done to improve this situation, which is the same as last year, and the questions going into last year were, is the goaltending going to be good enough? Well, nothing has changed. They brought in Matias Ekholm last year at the trade deadline. Sure, that's great, but he's not stopping pucks. So this is the big issue that I have with this team is they knew that they had a goaltending issue, and I know it's hard in, the, in this era because everybody is pressed up against a cap, but anybody can be moved. We've learned that, and that's the part that I struggle with that I, I agree with you that Jay Woodcroft can't be on the hot seat with this kind of goaltending. No, and Jack Campbell being waived. Look, like... At the human being aside, because you root for a guy like Jack Campbell, sure. because we know what he's gone through. He's publicly talked about this. So from a human perspective, we absolutely root for a guy like that. Now, looking at the goaltending situation, you're right. It's tough. The cap space is at zero there. They're going to have to move some pieces. Maybe Jack Campbell is part of a deal. But you're looking at the names that are currently being discussed in trade rumors, particularly among Oil Nation. You have guys like Jordan Binnington and UC Soros and, and Linus Allmark even uh, being discussed. Like those are five, six million dollar guys. Jake Allen is at 3.8. Carter Hart is at 3.9. So you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to put pieces together. If those are the names that are being most brought up as it pertains to a trade or whatever the conversations are being had. I'm sure that Ken Holland is having conversations with all of those teams, looking at every single option, exhausting every single opportunity. So, but you're going to have to get somebody who either is proven or has the potential to do so. And that's going to cost you. And so you're going to have to put something together to make that happen. Arda O'Cal from ESPN joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. It is the MO, and don't you dare forget it. Uh, you mentioned the Bruins there being a big surprise this year, and for me, I, I feel the same way. You lose Patrice Bergeron, who's not only one of the best defensive centers, two-way centers that we've ever seen, but he was also the lifeblood of that organization, especially after Zdeno Chara retired, and he's gone. David Krejci, 
longtime Bruin, Stanley Cup champion. He's gone as well. And I'm saying, okay, this team's not going to be able to score goals. So they're going to have trouble. That certainly hasn't been the case. And forget even the goal scoring aside. I think what they've shown us is if you have a really good defense and really good goaltending, you can maybe make up for a lack of offense. I know that sounds really simplistic, but it's not how teams are built anymore. And maybe it's the genius of Jim Montgomery who led this team to the most points in NHL history in a single season, albeit they lost in the first round. But when you look at this team and you look at how good that defense is, especially when Charlie McAvoy comes back from suspension, and with how good the goaltending is with Allmark and Swayman, maybe it doesn't matter that they don't have number one centers on their roster. And maybe that's something that they can wait to trade for around the deadline when maybe they can open up a little bit of cap space. And, and let's give credit to the new faces integrating really well, right? Lori, Quatra, like the, the, the people that have come in and uh, all the question marks, like especially center depth, like that's been answered so far this season, very well by the young faces and the people are being elevated. And so the Bruins have gotten that benefit. They had a pair of rookies score their first NHL goal in the same game against the Dallas Stars, and they hadn't done that in several years. But, like, that game, like, I watched that whole game, obviously. We had the Stars tonight as well, so I wanted to get a good deep dive on the Stars. The Bruins got fantastic goaltending. The Stars had, like, more quality high danger chances than probably double the amount that the Bruins typically allow to your point about defense uh, and how good their defense is. Maybe that's a McAvoy thing as well, like you said, but like they, the Swayman was facing some really high danger chances and he was standing on his head and you expect nothing less from that goaltender tandem. And that's another thing Matt. like how, how often do we, I've talked to a lot of NHL goaltenders, our analysts and otherwise that, it's interesting to see that dynamic between Allmark and Swayman. Like everyone loves the goalie hug. It's a meme, you know, people love it, but to, to competitive goaltenders, a lot of them have actually told me I, they're surprised to see that because of the competitive nature of the position. And really there's only one a side. There's only one starting goaltender. There's only one from, from that point of view. So for that to work in Boston, for them to buy in like that, and, and for how long it's been, I mean, why would you want to disrupt that? It's working so well. And yeah, like they lost to Florida last season, but they were very close to winning that series up three, one, uh, what was it in the third period? So, you know, the, it's not like they can't, especially with the start they had, Matt, it's not like they can't replicate that and, 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 and have aspirations of going on another run. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the goaltending thing because I, I agree with that sentiment. My only, con, my only problem is, is that I find it really interesting when it comes to the playoffs and how these guys use the goaltending rotation because you would like it to be one guy that you can throw out there and that's it. Um, and they tried to do that with all mark last year and it didn't work and we saw we saw minnesota make a mistake with it you know gustafson has a great game one and then they play flurry in game two and then all hell breaks loose and i feel like in boston you know they what they did was their goalies split generally speaking over the course of the year and yes uh all mark played a little bit more than swayman did but they used them in a rotation the guys get used to that and that's my only concern is is that if you don't have the guy and the one guy that you can rely on in the playoffs, is that a problem because of how these guys have been deployed throughout the season? Yeah, and, 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 and also they are a proven tandem, and 
Like in the case of Vegas, they went through how many goaltenders, yeah. right? Five different goaltenders. And, they, and by the way, they also did that in year one. Like, it's not like this is a new thing for Vegas to go through that many goaltenders. They get a guy in Aiden Hill who they traded for a fourth-round pick from the Sharks, and he ends up being a Stanley Cup caliber goaltender. Like, it's just – the goaltending position is fascinating in itself. Uh, we could talk about it for hours, but, like, in the case of the Bruins, it's just the, the fact that the dynamic exists like that. It's really, really interesting to see. Yeah, definitely fun to watch. I mean, they are, they are a lot better than – I thought they weren't going to make the playoffs, Art. I'm not going to lie. I, I had them out of the playoffs. I had Tampa out of the playoffs and well, shows what the heck I know. Cause they're both really good right now. Um, <laughs> I, I talked to Elliot about this earlier about benchings and you know, we've seen Johnny Gaudreau uh, recent, most recently are sorry, Jonathan Huberdo, then Johnny Gaudreau. And we saw Timo Meyer earlier in the year. Those are big ticket guys that find themselves sitting on the bench for significant periods. And while it does happen. It does feel like it's happened a lot earlier this year. Do you think that it's because the numbers just dictate at this point? Like if you're not in a playoff spot by American Thanksgiving, that it's really, really difficult for you to get back in it. And and it does really feel like right out of the gate. Whereas maybe in years past, maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it's like, okay, we can have a slow start and we'll be okay. It really does feel like with the parody in the league that there's no room for error here. Yeah, I, I will say I, I can't wait to – we're going to do the point later on ESPN, and we're, at, we're actually going to ask Ryan Callahan this exact question uh, just about um, the idea of benching a player and how successful it is, you know? Like, I, I will say this. Um, I have talked to a few coaches about this. I remember when John Tortorella was with us uh, in our first year at ESPN – uh, there was a similar situation. Uh, I forget who it was, but I remember asking him about benching players and how successful that is. And his, what he told me essentially was, it depends on the situation, it depends on the player, but no coach in the NHL would deploy that if they didn't believe that it would, yield pos- it would not yield positive results. So obviously it's a concerted effort in the cases of Goudreau and Huberdeau and also Tre- Trevor Zegris this season. Mm-hmm. The coaches in each instance evaluated the situation, were clearly unhappy with the play of those three players in that particular time, and determined that benching the player was the best course of action to either uh, snap them out of the funk or to uh, change the paradigm, change the course, change the mental, um, you know, the mentality of the player as well. So it's a tool that exists in the toolbox of the coach and they use it when they deem to be necessary. That like those decisions are what really guides coaches, especially at the highest levels. And that always stuck with me. Just the idea of in some cases, uh, benching a player may not work. It might have the opposite effect. They might get bitter. They might get upset. It might send them down a spiral. So there are other things that coaches need to determine, maybe something in practice, maybe a conversation after the game, one-on-one, whatever it is, it, it, it's always based on the player and, and, and just managing those expectations, those emotions, and fine-tuning them so they get back to where the coach wants them to get. And I wonder, and I mentioned this to Elliot, and he kind of poo-pooed my notion, which is fine. Uh, but I, I wonder, too, like in sports in general, it's really become about the players, and the players are the ones that wield the power. If we're being honest, and I know some leagues are – you know, that's more the case than others. You know, you can talk about the NBA and, and, you know, to some extent the NFL, but maybe not as much. But I feel like in this case, in the NHL, when you see guys that are high-priced talent, and in some cases, some people would make the argument uh, too high-priced 
talent. It does feel like coaches are getting some of the power back here. They don't get paid as much as the players, but here's the other thing. Everybody's tied up against the cap. The expectations are what they are. And guess what? You're not going anywhere. So you better have your situation and deal with it. And I think that's where the coaches are getting some of the power back here. Yes. And the best teams will always be the ones where the coaches have the respect and the attention of the room and they're buying in. The coach has a system. The coach has a philosophy. The coaches are buying into that system and philosophy. They are working as a well-oiled machine in a cohesive unit. That environment will always thrive more often than not than when there are cracks, clearly. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Toronto because last night was not a pretty one. Uh, they they allow three goals in three minutes in the, in the third period. Ottawa wins 6-3. Sheldon Keefe is not happy after the game. And, you know, a lot of people were very interested in how things would shake out for the Leafs after bringing in, let's face it, some intriguing players. Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi. It's been a rough start for those guys, although Domi seems to have found a, a nice niche on that third line. Uh, the other offseason signing, John Klingberg, seems to be on the ice for every goal against. How surprised are you at the Leafs' inability to keep the puck out of their own net, especially on home ice in which they have allowed four goals or more in every home game this year? Before I answer that question, do you think that guy on the subway got a picture with Willie Nylander? <laughs> I saw your tweet on that, and I was thinking, like, he has the Leafs hat. He has to know that that's William Nylander, right? Like, I would assume that that's the case. I, I've always wondered about that because you know there's going to be cameras. You know that people are recording this. Like, I wouldn't do that if I was William Nylander, so kudos to him, but I would assume he took more than a couple of pictures on the subway. Don't you have to at that point? Like, do you, are you not obligated if you're going to put yourself out there like that? Oh, no, no. The obligation, absolutely. Willie knew. Willie knew. I just find it fun. I, I, I'm questioning whether the guy sitting beside him actually realized because he was deep in thought on his phone. He was probably playing candy crush or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like it just looked like he was so enthralled. Like something was happening that he's like, I'm watching a video. Maybe he was watching Willie Nylander highlights. Oh, that would be beside ironic. Willie Nylander not knowing. And then he just gets off the subway and then does a double take. We need to find, <laughs> we need to find this guy. Twitter. That is your job or X again, whatever. I don't know. It's Twitter. I don't care. Um, it's your job to go out and find who this guy was and find out if he got a picture with William Nylander. That's your job. There we go. Our <laughs> I love listeners it. will find it. Um, but yeah, um, are, how, how surprised are you at this Leaf team? Because it's, it's, let's face it, certainly not what we expected. But I think, I think a lot of people in this market are just kind of going, well, Toronto specifically, are just saying like, okay, it's early. We know they're going to get into the playoffs, right? But I feel like there's a creeping concern here about the fact that they can't keep the puck out of their net. They are making the playoffs. The, the Leafs are making the playoffs. They're too good of a team not to make the playoffs. That's my thought. From, as, as a guy who grew up in Toronto and understands the, the plight of, um, you know, consuming Toronto sports and understanding the, uh, everything that goes into uh, following the Toronto Maple Leafs, looking at this team objectively as a guy who now covers the entire league in America, this team is making the playoffs. Like, I think we can, you know, be at least confident in that. Then you look at the details. Yes, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, you know, if, if Joe Wool becomes the 1A goaltender and, uh, you know, blossoms into that role, and uh, great, because then there's no, you know, you can ride that hot hand through the playoffs and not have to, you know, search for a goaltender like the Oilers are right now 
maybe even at the trade deadline as you continue to de- deliberate. Um, bottom six scoring, obviously a concern. Can't rest all on Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and Willie Nylander like it has been. Uh, defensively, are there question marks there? Trying to get cohesion, trying to get um, you know the, the puck out of the zone. There, there's certainly question marks. And the last few games, it's been rough, certainly. Like, the, at times they've looked disjointed. At times they've looked discombobulated on the ice. It hasn't looked like the chemistry was there in certain respects. Uh, giveaways that have led to chances for the other teams. But still, they're competitive in certain respects. Still, they're on track to be a team that makes the postseason and, you know, a large part has to do with the, with the big players that are stepping up. Like Austin Matthews could go 50, like the actual 50 and 50. Like he technically did it in a 50-game stretch two years ago. But if the actual record is from the start of the season, Matthews is probably getting there this year, you know, if all goes well and, you know, he stays healthy and et cetera. So those are the question marks I'm sure that every Leaf fan listening has. And we do too here. Yeah, it's it's certainly not about the stars not performing. Like William Nylander in the contract year is, I mean, as expected. I think everybody thought William Nylander in a contract year was going to have a great year because he wants $10 million a season. And uh, the way he's playing right now, I don't blame him. Um, speaking of $10 million a season, he's not making that in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's making a little bit less, uh, but San Jose's picking up the tab. Eric Carlson was the big offseason acquisition for the Penguins. And this was already an aging roster and they bring in another older player. And I'm not saying he's old, but he's old by hockey standards. Um, albeit a very productive player last year, certainly not that same way in Pittsburgh right now. This team is scuffling. Um, they they look off and, and maybe it's because they're an older roster and now Tristan Jari's hurt. There's no way that the Penguins can afford to miss the playoffs again, right? I mean, that, the, Eric Carlson was a big get for them. The core four for Dubis in, in Pittsburgh, Kyle Dubas in Pittsburgh, right, uh, with the addition of Carlson. When I heard that, I was like, well, there's, your, there's a top five power play in the league, right, with all of that incredible uh, offensive production, blue line and, you know, between the circles, like just seemed incredible. Uh, whatever, for whatever reason, hasn't clicked, hasn't gelled so far. Uh, could they be looking at, uh, shuffling things a little bit, experimenting with different lines, trying to uh, fit different pieces there. Uh, from a from a twenty thousand foot view, as someone who's not following the team every single day, with the pieces they have and their production so far, they're ninth in the East. You know, basically tied with Ottawa uh, in that in that wild in the, uh, the the wild card. It's not looking good so far and you have to think that as competitive as a lot of people are in that locker room look no further than the captain you know but there are definitely being conversations being had in in those uh rooms right now yeah no question uh that i can't imagine that the fan base would be super happy um because you know fans in in pennsylvania period are just so nice uh especially uh not far down the road uh, in philadelphia but uh, by the way that Philadelphia did screw up this Oilers-Sharks matchup tonight, didn't they? I had to get that in there, too. They really screwed this up for all of us. If we wanted full chaos... They could have gone 82 games with no wins. Can you imagine if the Sharks did not win a game this season? I know. What what could have been? Yeah, we could have had the loser... Because I know you're a wrestling guy. We could have had the loser-leaves-town match tonight. We really could have. (laughs) 
and they screwed <laughs> it up gets for relegated. everybody. Yeah, exactly. That's what it feels like right now. Uh, Arda, listen, you spent uh, a lot of time with me today. I greatly appreciate it as always, pal. The MO is back for another season, uh, and I greatly appreciate your time. And congratulations again on the extension, buddy. You and I would defeat Wish and Merrick at NHL 2-on-2 Open Ice Challenge. Oh, that's a guarantee. That's an ab- That's not even a question. I don't even know if Merrick knows how to use a, a video game controller or an, ar- oh, an arcade. He's old <laughs> enough for the arcade. He would get it. Uh, but, yeah, no, we would definitely wipe the floor with them. Uh, go, uh, and we will be the Islanders just so we can see those glorious jerseys. How about that? Exactly. You're the man, Matt. Talk to you soon. There he goes. Ardo Cal from ESPN. And, of course, uh, the drop. Fantastic, Arda Ocal. Uh, all right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Colorado Avalanche. Megan Angley from DNVR Sports covers the Avalanche. And, of course, we got to talk about her sit-down with Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg, two legends of this game, and she got to sit down with them. Uh, that's all when we come back. Matt Marchese in for Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show, listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick Show, the final block for today. November the 9th. I can't, I always say this, but I can't believe that it's November the 9th because the snow's going to, well, it already started. It's coming. What do they say? Winter is coming? I don't know. I didn't watch the show, but it is. With that means that there's a lot of hockey on the docket and uh, tonight is no different. And one of the teams uh, that will be taking the ice is the Colorado Avalanche to play the Seattle Kraken. And who better to talk about the Colorado Avalanche, then Megan Angley from DNVR Sports covering those same Avalanche. Megan, how are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you guys? I'm good. I'm good. So before we get to the on-ice stuff now, uh, I got to ask you, um, you sat down with Joe Sackett and Peter Forsberg, which is amazing. Um, What was your biggest takeaway from sitting down with two Colorado Avalanche legends and really legends of the NHL? It was a really incredible moment, and I think you can just really appreciate their thoughtfulness and see how that translated to who they were as players, especially hearing from Joe, who still has a hand in the organization at the helm and has shaped so much of the current Avalanche team that we see today, not only through his play as a player, but also his role in management leading up to it. And I think the thoughtfulness in his answers especially stood out to me in the type of culture that he's trying to bring about to the Avs organization. Now, from the Forsberg perspective, like we don't hear a lot from Peter Forsberg. And uh, I mean, he when he was playing, again, one of the greatest players that this game has ever seen, one of the most dominant players that this game has ever seen. Did you get any sense from him that he may want to get back into the game in some capacity? I didn't just because he did speak about how the foot still gives him trouble. And so I think that there's still so much of a passion for the game, but you know, that's a guy that wanted to play through some pretty serious injuries. So I, I think that the foot's just still giving him trouble, but he's still tearing it up in Swiss men's league. So he's a terror over there for those guys. Yeah, I could, I'd like him on my team. I will say that. I don't, I don't care if he's playing on one foot. I think I'd like him on my team. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> so on the ice, um, 
we'll talk about Nathan McKinnon in a sec, but the guy who he does kind of play, you know, let's call it third fiddle to Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr in most cases, but Miko Rantanen's off to an incredible start, 17 points in 11 games after a career year last year. Um, are we finally past the, I'm surprised that Miko Rantanen is having another elite season. And now we're at this guy is a top five to seven forward. And there's no doubt about it anymore. Oh, yeah. I think we won't be saying that this is an underrated best winger in the league for, for much longer. I actually think we're in that room right now just based upon his individual performance last year. In the absence of Nathan McKinnon, who missed some time due to injury, Mika Rantanen really stepped up, and that was shown in his production on a team that was struggling with injury so much last year. You know, 50-goal season, it's not an easy feat, and Mika Rantanen just continues to find scoring in important moments in games too. It's a quality that I know they really like about him. And he's just so the, the best for me, the best part about Miko Rantanen is that you can use him at center. If you need to, he can, he obviously can play the wing. He's just so dynamic. And, and when we think of dynamic players, a lot of the times we think maybe smaller ish guys, but Rantanen has that ability and he's a bigger player. He can put himself in spots that he can use his side, use, use, use his strength as well. And just be a really, really impactful player, whether it's on the power play, even strength, whatever. Um, I just, I think he's, one of the more fascinating players to watch because he has that blend of, of skill and, and size. And, and that's a, a lot of guys around the league don't necessarily have that, especially at that elite level. It's a fabulous point, you know, to have that level of physicality and merge it with the skill upside that he has. I think it's something that he's done more solidly and reliably, reliably in the last couple of seasons. And it's what makes him so lethal on the power play specifically too. There's an unpredictability to Mika Rantanen, he can play from anywhere on the ice and be dangerous on the power play in particular. Yeah, and he's an elite passer too. That's another thing. Like, we talk about the 50 goals, but uh, his passing ability is on another level. Uh, on the flip side, Nathan McKinnon, I hate saying this because 11 points in 11 games is a hell of a feat for any NHLer, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, and for his standards, it's kind of it's kind of not Nathan McKinnon. He does have five goals in 11 games. The shooting percentage is only at 8.9%. And I understand that this is a guy who's a very, he's a volume shooter. He puts a lot of pucks at the net, uh, well below his career average of 10.2% uh, shooting percentage. But is this just a matter of time before the pucks start to go in here and the points start to accumulate? Or is there something else that we're kind of missing here with Nathan McKinnon? It's just a matter of time. And what we're missing or perhaps not considering enough is, even though he's playing with some similar personnel in Mika Rantanen on his wing, that top six has been a little bit interchangeable. And I think that they're still looking for a consistency and chemistry to come together here. And I think it's already started to. And the other thing too is everybody knows Nathan McKinnon is. That is a player that they intentionally target to shut down and it makes it hard to drive inside ice, even with the speed and skill of Nathan McKinnon because other players anticipate him so much. I think he's just always has that extra step in his game that it's going to come together. I think once the chemistry starts to set in in particular, and it's going to be another player that we're talking about the league needs to put on notice. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, I mean, Nathan McKinnon for my money was, I know it was Connor McDavid's going away, but Nathan McKinnon for what he did in the time that he did it last year was absolutely, uh, he was my number two uh, for the MVP last year. Megan Angley from DNVR Sports covering the Colorado Avalanche, showing Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, you talked about the interchangeable top six and one guy that was brought in, you know, one year deal, cheap deal that, you know, maybe he could reignite his career here. Uh, it looked good in game one, Jonathan Duran with the assist 
in the first game and he has no points in the next nine. Uh, safe to say that this experiment hasn't really worked out. Sorry, what was that? Uh, safe to say that the Jonathan Drouin experience hasn't really worked out here. Uh, I think it's premature to come to that conclusion, but in talking about things coming together as far as chemistry, I do think that's something that hasn't quite clicked. I think that he's not the only forward that is having that conversation around him at this point in time, and I think some of it's just trying to find the right fit in the lineup. Obviously, you know, he's not necess- he has so much skill, it's hard to put him on a fourth line, and you want to see that vision come together, and I think with him, the thing that we're not considering is he's been on the doorstep of a lot of really great opportunities that just haven't converted, and I think he's another player that it's a matter of time I know that time isn't necessarily something that NHL teams with this high competitive standard have an abundance, but I'm not giving up on the Jonathan Drouin experiment, but I do think that there is more to give, and it's kind of a necessity for him at this point. Yeah, it really is. Not that it's make or break for his career, but this is a very, very good opportunity here for him to make some hay and, and, you know, let's face it, make some money in the offseason. Speaking of money, uh, one guy that's been money throughout his career is Patrick Kane, and it looks like he's kind of making the list and checking it twice of teams that he wants to look at and, and maybe join at some point, maybe over the course of the next month. I would assume that Colorado is on that list. Do you think, you know, with the interchangeable nature of that top six, that the interest would be mutual? I would assume so, but there's also this thing called the salary cap that they have to make work as well. Uh, how do you think that, that uh, that relationship would go? Like, do you think that that is someone that the Colorado Avalanche would have their eye on now? I do in that it's a player that they've had interest in in the past, but looking at the logistics of it all, I just don't think it would be possible. So as far as the Patrick Kane sweepstakes, I think that there are other teams that would make more sense just because the role he plays isn't really available to him right now. So they would have to make some serious decisions in their forward group to accommodate Kane to be utilized the way a player of his caliber is meant to be used. And then, of course, the salary cap is still an issue. And so there would be some pretty serious changes that would have to come to the Avs to make it possible. And there are just other teams and considerations that I think would make more sense up front. So I hate to do this because I feel like I do this every time I talk about Colorado. Um, And it's something that you and I talked about last season. It's the Sam Gerrard thing because anytime it's like, oh, players got to be moved out to make work. It's always Sam Gerrard. And, you know, three years left after this year at $5 million per season, he only has one assist on the year. And for a guy that we expect, you know, offensive numbers from, okay, he doesn't get number one power play time. I get that. Uh, But you do expect a little bit of offense from him. Um, Do you think that eating some money on that deal would be something that Colorado would even entertain to try and improve their forward group? Or do you think it's no Sam Gerrard is staying here because he's a valuable piece to this blue line. And it's, it's somebody that they really value at this point. Yeah. I think that last part is kind of the camp that I would be in on the Gerrard conversation. I think he's had a good start to this year. And I think that they are searching for something to get Byram going too. I think those two complement one another pretty specifically. And I actually think too, they're not as deep in that style of defenseman to play right now if they were looking for someone to fill that role coming up behind Gerard, if that makes sense. But I think they're deeper on the forward side, especially in like the top six area, right? And so I think they're just waiting for a couple things to come together in that way. But even Ryan Johansson is still coming around, right? A new person in that top six that I don't think it would be worth it to disrupt the stability of the decor at the expense of Gerard 
just to make a, a piece like Kane work. So so with that depth then up front that you're talking about, do you think if if they, and I know it's so premature right now, we're, we're not very far into the season, but if there was an area that maybe they wanted to improve, could it be the blue line that they wanted to add like a depth piece to? Or do you think that bottom six, uh, maybe with a little bit of scoring ability is something that would be uh, more of an inclination for Joe Sackick to trade for? It's a really great question because I'm looking at the D side of it. I think that's where there would be more of a need because they have intriguing American League options that are performing really well. Riley Tufty was recalled this morning and will be playing with the Avs tonight. He's been playing well down there. And I think if they wanted to utilize him more in a depth role with the Avs down the line, that would be an interesting option. On the D side, though, I don't think they have that same confidence. And that's where I think then they would look for maybe a bottom of the decor solution a seventh guy that they really trust there just in case, because as injuries crop up on days where Carr or Pyram are questionable, you see how it even disrupts practice. And so I think that's the greatest need for the Avs to really be thinking about beyond goaltending, which I'm sure you'll talk about. Oh, oh yeah. I was, I was just going to get there. Um, Alexander Gorgiev, he had a great season last year, 2.51 goals against 919 save percentage, but it hasn't quite started out that way for him. And, and again, it is early in the season. He's going to play a lot. Um, how much of his struggles is because of his own game and how much of it is just the play in front of him right now? I think it's a little bit of both, but leaning more towards the play in front of him. And I still view Georgiev as the starter, and I have a lot of trusted faith in him based on his body of work as a starter with a heavy workload last year. So my concern really isn't around Georgiev. I think the beginning of the year, this is a team especially with so many new additions that has been fine-tuning some of the little details of their game. And that is also bringing new players on board with the way that they like to execute team defense. And I think that's where there have been some breakdowns, pucks going on to the opposition stick. And that's a really challenging thing for a goaltender. And also the time spent on the penalty kill has also been quite challenging as well. A penalty kill that's been really good for what it's worth, but I'm really not worried about Georgiev, and I think that things are just going to improve as the season goes on. Uh, expectations for tonight, uh, Valerie Nachushkin, he was at, as far as I, I saw, he was at the rink today following the birth of his child. Um, do you expect him to be in the lineup tonight? Yes, Jared Bednar did say he will be in. Well, what what a way to kick off fatherhood uh, with a goal tonight. That would go a long way, especially for a guy that has won. Uh, Megan, thank you so much for your insight as always. Greatly appreciated. Uh, and enjoy the game tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks. There she goes. Megan Angley from DNVR Sports covering the Colorado Avalanche. You know, it's funny. I had this conversation with Ken Weeb last year about Connor Hellebuck and his struggles and how becoming a parent has you know, put a lot of stress on him. It's funny how we forget that these guys are regular human beings who also have other things on the side going on. In this case, Valerie Nichushkin has one goal, seven points in 11 games, and he's going to become a father. See what those expectations are like now. Um, all right, we have a couple of clips that we want to get to here. Uh, we'll start off with this one, and then we'll kind of see where we go. Jonathan Huberdeau, after his benching and, and his comments surrounding that, this is Jonathan Huberdeau from yesterday. Difficult. I mean, you know, as a player, you want to be out there and help, help your team. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, I sat on the bench. You know, it's a 
20 minutes in my my career and you know that's it. I think I just got to move on and we got to win so you know that's all that's all that matters and it's on me to you know to be better yeah I always want to look forward I mean I can't think in the past so you know you use that as you know it's just frustration I mean obviously you don't want to you know it's humiliating you don't want to be sitting on the bench and see your guys you know the guys work hard on the ice and you know you're just out there you know sitting on there but it wasn't easy I'm not gonna lie but you know it's a coaching decision and I think you you move on from there we got me and Huss talk it out and you know I it's it's I think it's there's no pointing fingers you got to look in the mirror and I got to be a better player and you know that's I, I know I got it in me I, I still believe I still, I still believe in myself so that's what I you know I just gotta I just gotta show it on the ice. The key for me there is sometimes you got to look in the mirror because this could have gone one of two ways. It could have been Jonathan Huberdeau doing the woe is me thing. And, well, I don't know what else I can do. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. He hasn't played well. And the numbers certainly, you know, tell us that is the case. Um, uh, technical director Lance Kennedy says it's the mustache. I disagree. I think mustaches are fantastic, as evidenced by the one I have on my face right now. Uh, my wife does not dis- My wife does not agree with that. But anyway, um, I think that... There is something in Jonathan Huberdeau here. Like we've the guy, you don't put up ninety plus assists as a winger just because you were fortunate to be in a certain situation. There's a talent level that goes along with that. It's what the fit is in Calgary. Maybe it tells us how good Alexander Barkov is in Florida because we don't have the conversation about how underrated he is. He's a good player, but I wonder. The thing is with Calgary is they've got to figure out how to make this work. They signed him to that extension and he's not going anywhere. So they better find a way to make this work. And a lot of it is Jonathan Huberdeau has to figure it out himself. Talked about looking in the mirror and how important that is. Got to make it work here. Uh, We have the next clip. How long is it, Lance? The Linden. Let's let's okay. Let's play the Trevor Linden clip here quickly. I wasn't happy with the way our process was in 2016, and that was the first year Judd had taken over the reins, and I did not like how our meetings went. And and so in 2017, I I really pushed hard to have Judd, you know, really step up and 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 really run a robust type meeting, and that we can really put uh, you know our thoughts and feelings on the table and and. Um, uh, you know, I mean, so, and I really pushed hard as a management group to have Judd and his guys make the pick and Judd and, and give Ronnie Lorm a lot of credit as well. They loved this guy. And, and so, um, you know, Jim wasn't sold and, and, you know, I, Jim had his choice. He probably would have taken a different player and, and, but I, I really pushed to have these guys that were, they were banging their fists on the on the table, and and I, that's what I wanted them to do. I wanted like you know like let's let's have these conversations and let's put every because I didn't feel we did a good job in 2016, and I think it cost us. Well, I know it cost us, as we all know. So um, yeah, and um, you know I mean, um, yeah, and Elias is a special player, right? I mean he's he's, uh, and, but I mean even, even at that, I mean in, you know 2017 he. He, he's drafted. I mean, now it's 2023. It's six years until he's a guy that, you know, you are going to, you know, that, that, that has got it figured out and is, he's got his, you know what I mean? And that's, 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 that's 
that's kind of how it works. It takes a while. And so nice to see it happen for sure. That was Trevor Linden on uh, Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650 throwing a dart towards Jim Benning and not wanting to draft Elias Pedersen. I cannot wait for the rebuttal on that one. Wow. Could you imagine what this Canucks roster would look like uh, with Cody Glass instead of Elias Pedersen? I don't think Canucks fans want to know what that's like. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Jeff Merrick show. Thank you to everyone that listened. Thanks to everybody behind the glass. Lance Kennedy, General Nick David Sis. I will be back in the chair tomorrow. Jeff will be back on Monday. Thanks to all the guests that joined us. Elliot Friedman, uh, Eric Erlinson, Arta Ocal, and Megan Angley. Plenty of games on the ice tonight. We'll talk about all of them, or at least some of them, tomorrow right here on the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese signing off. You've been listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network or watching on Sportsnet 360. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.